trending news right now. Dr. Meji Makoba joins us uh, looking at social media in the last 24 hours, social commentator. Doctor, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Afanda. Let's talk hashtag Tabumpegi first of all, uh, addressing the Section 25, saying South Africa cannot afford to allow a no compensation for land. So this former president of ours, uh, Tabumpegi, is warning that uh, what the ANC is proposing in terms of amendments to Section 25 of the Constitution is not going to work. Um, And the purpose of this whole uh, debate is around the issue of uh, compensation around land ownership. Uh, it's a painful observation by Tabombeki, but uh, we shouldn't forget that uh, Tabombeki is a court jester of global capitalism. Uh, he's one of the critical uh, op- uh, proponents of neoliberal uh, neoliberal projects in the South. So I, I don't think the ANC and other parties have any other choices in terms of proceeding with this and expropriation. I don't think people should be compensated for for the land that they have illegally accumulated through the system of apartheid. Even though they can come and claim that uh, uh, this, they have leases, they have um, title deeds, I don't think we should be going there. And he even goes further to say that it's a violation of the Freedom Charter. And we speak about the Freedom Charter as if it's a, it's a, it's a document that is uh, at the level of the Bible, like, the, like it is to the Christian people. And I think Mbeki should not be given this leeway. His word must be interrogated. He is actually one of the people who failed to deal with land, land expropriation or redistribution of land. He has experienced that the current model of willing seller, willing buyer doesn't work. And he, in fact, should be proposing uh, more serious uh, solutions rather than just criticizing what's really happening. Because we should understand that South Africa does not have the resources to fund for willing buyer, willing seller, willing buyer. And the same happened in Zimbabwe, if you remember very well, that the British and the Americans had agreed to fund uh, Zimbabwe's land distribution policy. And later they reneged on the deal and coming to say, no, they cannot pay for the sins of their ancestors. And if we are serious about reparations, I think uh, people, especially white people, must come to party and give back the land that they are not using. And they have to understand that there's land inequality in South Africa. There's evidence that justifies that. If you check Alexandra and Tembisa, those are the microscopic problem, I mean, microscopic expressions of why we need land redistribution. And we should not allow people such as Tabombeke, who are co-gestors of global capitalism, to distract us. So you feel the the concern then on the investment uh, that could be coming into the country that he feels like is going to be derailed is not uh, a real concern? Well, since we are pushing a neoliberal project, it's a concern. But what other means do we have? We have issues of land inequality in South Africa. Mbege failed with his two presidencies to resolve the issue. He still, he knows that the current, the policy that the ANC used didn't work. And there's no other way that the state can fund uh, the willing seller, willing buyer with our own resources. 
we don't have that capacity. So there has to be some way in which the ANC can use both, whether willing seller, willing buyer, and expropriation without compensation, because uh, we do not have resources. I think that has been stolen the whole process, and, and the, the the house, the, the, the buying land is actually become one of the most expensive things and it's going to be worse for government and i don't think we should allow mbeki to distract us we we should actually think about how to develop our own markets on how to run our own economy even though i we are interdependent to global capitalism the issue of using the language of the investors is are going to go away what should happen to our people who are languishing in poverty because they do not have land do you think that if somebody else had made or, or uh, shared these sentiments, we would hold uh, more weight to these uh, statements? And maybe that maybe the legacy of Tabompeg is what we're looking at more than what he is saying. Yeah, he knows that in South Africa he has a very, very strong reputation. And whatever he says, the media would take it as a final word. And we should be critical of Mbegi because... His presidency has not done anything for the ordinary person. Even though he's, he experienced modest economic growth, or we experienced modest economic growth under his leadership, that leadership did not translate into the end of unemployment. If we check unemployment from uh, the start of his presidency, it has been over 20%, and the number has been skyrocketing. So... Mbeg, it's not unique to Mandela and Jacob Zuma, even though, especially with the case of Jacob Zuma, he was not accused of corruption. Maybe that's one portion. But we should learn to be critical of how hypocritical he is, because if you check him closely, this is the same person who could go on public platforms and denounce neoliberalism, but goes on to uh, to to implement one of the most neoliberal projects in Africa. So this is somebody who is very dishonest, but who has a strong reputation for some reason. Maybe it's because uh, he, he has earned this uh, image as an, an unchallenged and unparalleled intellectual. And I think South Africans must look at him closely to understand the type of a hypocritical person he is. Is it sustainable, in your view, to expropriate any property without compensation? It is sustainable, but it has to be done in a way that we balance what global capitalism wants and what our people want, because it can't be a zero-sum game of we we can't expropriate because we are going to scare investors. The other question has to be, what should happen to people who are languishing in poverty because they do not have land. As I've said, Alexandra is one example that we have land inequality in South Africa. And I think maybe the ANC is wrong to frame the issue of land redistribution as expropriation without compensation. They should have just said we have land inequality and the state is doing something about it because the language that we use also has an impact on how the market reacts. And I think the phrasing of this issue of land justice, it's quite controversial. We should have just said we have land inequality and we need to do something about it in order to redistribute the uh, the, the, the land uh, fairly. 
And maybe if possible, the state can simply take the land that they feel it's not been put to use because it's no point for the government to use millions and billions of rents to buy land that is not being used but belonging to somebody else. So the issue of sustainability speaks to the fact that we are a neoliberal system and we belong to a global capitalism. And for, 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 for this, the government experiences a lot of constraints because of this ideological framework. And unfortunately, the ANC doesn't seem to to be having alternatives because even with the brouhaha around this Section 25, I don't really think that the ANC has the capacity to 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 take a brave step and redistribute the land bravely and accurately. The other thing is state custodianship, where there seems to be a discord between the EFF and ANC on. The EFF saying they won't support this amendment if it does not include their proposal on full custodianship. Uh, former President Tabumbegi did not touch on this issue. Why do you think he avoided state custodianship as part of this uh, proposed amendment? I think it's a difficult topic because... Uh, the, he wouldn't want to be associated with what the state has done in the past. Uh, I think many policies in South Africa would fail because, number one, we do not have state capacity, and two, if we do have state capacity, uh, our efforts have been derailed by corruption. And the EFF's argument is that if we the the the, the state doesn't take custodianship of the land majority of people are under going to resell the land that would have been allocated because if it would not be that's the argument that that's the logic they have uh, it would not be uh it would not be useful to give mm-hmm. uh, leases to i mean to title this to individuals because number one that is going to be disconnected to the developmental agenda of land expropriation so people are if we individualize this thing people are going to sell the title deeds and this whole thing of land expropriation is going to be very fruitless and i think the argument that the state should be a custodian it makes sense because it means that if you want to use a piece of land uh, uh you would have to make an application to the government that this is i want to use the land for this thing and the government would approve and give you a lease. Mm-hmm. But I think for many people that they see this as a reconstruction of the old forms of socialism, that's why they would not want to touch it because the issue of state intervention is kind of looked at with, it's frowned upon because of corruption that is associated with the state and the fact that it's associated with socialism that many people do not want to be associated with. So for the amendment then to pass, uh, the ANC needs either the AF, uh, EFF or the DA to be on its side. The DA is saying uh, state custodianship is something they, they don't subscribe to at all. So they probably won't get the DA to be on their side, but the EFF then becomes the focus. How do you think this will uh, pan out? I think it, that's where the EFF is holding the account, I mean the ANC to account to. So they are so resolute with the issue of state intervention. They want the state to take a strategic position on the land issue. And 
remember that the ANC and the DA are almost the same. They run the both neoliberal projects, which believes in externalization of political responsibility. They don't want the state involvement in how the economy is running. And that's where the DA would not come closer to state intervention because they believe in uh, market economics and the ANC is following the same uh, concept of the invisible hands of the market. So, and the ESF is the only party that is pushing for state intervention and believing that the state should uh, play a critical and strategic role. And I think for, they might not end up meeting each other because if they feel like we have to individualize this thing, the ANC, I mean, the ESF feels like we are going to be taking one step forward, but later taking 10, ten steps backwards. Mm. And I don't think he, they, this is going to be their serious deadlock because they don't seem to be uh, me- meeting each other on a serious, critical, uh, serious issue. Okay, let's move on talking hashtag Olympic Games. Our very own uh, Wade Faniker, the 28-year-old uh, world record holder, achieving on Saturday the 400-meter qualifying standard for the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, congratulations to him. And it, it, it's very important that he qualified and he's going to uh, defend his medal. But... Uh, I, I'm so worried about his fitness mm. because I remember he was running in Boston and he had a problem and Olympics are quite near and we are not sure if he's going to be fit on time and he's not he's going to manage to retain his medal. So we although he has qualified, uh, his fitness is, is, is a worrying issue and we hope he really gets well so that he can represent the country very well. Yeah, he injured his knee playing uh, touch rugby. Uh, what does that actually speak to in terms of Olympians or, or athletes uh, in, in preserving their bodies, so to speak, that when they're not playing, they just need to be sitting down and making sure that they protect themselves against possible injuries? Yeah, I, I think that should be the case, that they need to preserve themselves. And although he, he maybe he, he's well justified that. It was a charity match. They needed to raise funds for a social cause. And maybe that he's justified to, to play. But uh, indeed, rugby, it's not, uh, it's not a safe sport. Mm. And for somebody who depends on their high level of fitness, it's really tricky that you can be an athlete and be playing rugby at the same time. Because in rugby, the, the, the more... the the game, the game is more aggressive. The more it looks attractive for them, and it's it's quite unfortunate that he sustained the injury. So, as much as he qualified, he did not come first. He was second uh, after Colombia's Anthony Jose Zambrano. Should he be worried about uh, Zambrano? Well, I, I think so, and not that Zambrano is is he's is a an intelligent runner. I think for uh, for Wade, I think the biggest issue is the fact that he has sustained injuries and the issue of fitness is, is one that should be on his head and I think that's going to be also affect him psychologically. And then our hope as South African is to really hope that he will be fit enough to compete at his own level without the distraction of injuries 
or the psychological impact that comes with injuries. And I think he, he doesn't really have much competition. The only issue is himself. He needs to compete against himself and being at the, his best condition could actually give South Africa some hope. And he must sit down. He must just not play or do anything when he's not um, competing, just to preserve that body. Uh, Let's talk Casta Semenya also on that same topic of Olympic Games. She's got one more week uh, to qualify. Uh, So she's been prevented from being in the women's 800-meter event. And now she's concentrating on the 5,000-meter distance uh, this year. How do you think this one will pan out? I think the, the chances of Kastasimena going to the Olympics are quite slim. Uh, but th- they say that uh, her Finnish uh, agent has been in this condition before she has managed to qualify people uh, in, in the last minute. And Kasta herself has been in the same situation before. But the, I think this is also made difficult by her how she has been restricted that uh, uh, she's only targeting, I think it's 5,000, is it 5,000 meters? Mm, 5,000 meters. Yes, and I think that category is quite, it's not It's not really common. And it's going to be very difficult for Casper Timonia to find, to find a spot to qualify for. But hopefully maybe since they, they have ho- hopes in her agent, we hope that in the next few days she will manage to to get a spot to qualify because she also she has an important figure in the South African sport fraternity. Absolutely. Uh, hashtag SANDF now. Uh, David Makura welcoming the deployment of military medics. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, as we've s- been saying in our poll question, Gauteng is uh, under strain and they, we as a, a province are battling to contain this third wave of COVID-19. So this uh, deployment of this delegation from the South African National Defence Force arriving at the Chris Honey Paraguanath Academic Hospital is a much needed solution. I think so, because considering that... Uh, Houghton is actually one of the most congested places in South Africa. And that place is still a burden on the healthcare system. And I think the, the deployment of this figures is very key and it's going to help the province handle COVID-19. And of course, I mean, efforts some time back, uh, we had that hospital fire that was an, uh, an ongoing issue. So uh, Gauteng has been dealt quite a major blow. And when we look at how vaccine rollouts is currently quite slow. Yeah, and I think it, it could have been useful if uh, this, so the so-called COVID-19 spots are kind of are prioritized because we can see that COVID-19 in the time bomb, uh, it's, it's quite serious and the government should be strategic in the rollout. Maybe Houghton must be prioritized so that the, 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 the spread of the virus stops because eventually many people are, are doing an in and out of Houghton and if we are not careful, the people who are doing an in and out of Houghton might end up spreading the virus and I think if the government takes a very serious responsibility and also f- pay attention to COVID-19 spot and maybe they can manage to to stop the, the spread. And I think since this is a, a third wave for them, there has to be a way in which we reallocate resources to make sure that the highly affected provinces do really get 
uh, maximum support because so Houghton, for instance, Houghton is actually uh, an economic hub in South Africa in which many people visit there and we really need to look, take care of the place. And Gauteng holds most of the country's population with uh, over 15.5 million people in the province. So because we are the most populated province in the country, should have government uh, should government have seen this coming and mitigated against it before it came to this point that it is now, accounting for more than half of the total number of reported deaths reportedly uh, reported nationally in, in Gauteng? I think that should have been the case. I mean... Considering that uh, the Houghton is quite small, but it uh, houses a large number of people, and in other places, issues of social distancing are practically impossible. So, and I think that is one of the contributing factors that you can't expect people to social distance in some other places, and that's why COVID-19 has found it easy to spread in this space. And I think. It, it shouldn't. Houghton should be looked at differently with, with other places where social distancing can be maintained. And I think maybe in terms of reallocation of resources, they have to rethink on how they reallocate resources. And I think Houghton should receive the biggest budget in terms of how they are dealing with COVID-19. Number one, because of the issues of uh, population number two, the fact that in some places such as Zandra and Tembisa, maybe social distancing is not really practical, and they have to really find out how could they, can they assist people who are physically who, who have issues of special problems, and how the government can come into the picture to assist them. Should one of those differences be that Gauteng be taken to a different lockdown level? Then that uh, apply to the rest of the country? I don't think taking them to to a different lockdown level, I don't think that's going to address the whole problem because maybe what would be the, how would the lockdown look? Will people be banned from going to Houghton? Or in that case, People who, as I've said, don't have uh, really way to enjoy social distancing. How will that lockdown help them? Because the problem is still uh, still still there, and lockdown is not it's not going to be the solution. I think Houghton is actually expressing issues of inequality, and those issues of inequality in terms of scarce resources are reflecting in how the province is responding to to COVID-19. And I do not think that a hard lockdown is going to solve the solution because here we have a deep-seated structural problem that affects housing, how people share space, and the fact that many people are in and out of housing. I don't think any lockdown is going to assist an SMS from Tate Muraba in Matatiela says, yes, I'm fully behind Gauteng being on level five. But then again, Tate Muraba is not in, in Gauteng. <laughs> what do you make of this SMS? Well, I think for, for many people, they, are, they have a fear that the, uh, the spread of, of COVID-19 in Gauteng is skyrocketing and they can see that there's no much that the government is doing to contain the problem. And I think their worries are justified that maybe we should go to 
level five. But unfortunately, a hard lockdown is not going to provide any solution. The solution would be how do we deal with the issue of space in the long term? Because I think that's where the bigger problem is that uh, there's no space to observe some of COVID-19 regulations. And that is expressed in how the virus is spreading in the province. So the deployment then of uh, the delegation of the SANDF, how much of a difference will that make? Because it sounds like it really is on the individual to make sure that the numbers go down on the province. I think it's a reactive strategy. It's, It's not really going to stop the spread of the virus. It's going to make sure that at least some capacity in terms of dealing with cases is increased. But in terms of the spread of the virus, no, it's not going to stop it. But uh, we we know that people, when they go to hospitals, they will find the staff argumentation at a different level. And that's the only hope. But in terms of stopping the virus, I think the government, uh, it's kind of caught napping. They don't have concrete plans in, in terms of stopping the, uh, the spread of the virus. Okay, so just before we get to our final topic, uh, uh, tweet on our previous chat on the hashtag Tabumpegi uh, commenting on that Section 25 proposed amendment. Uh, Hilton on Twitter says, the ANC is governing under the protection of the 1913 Colonial Land Act. That is why the scope of investigation started at 1913. The act cannot be amended. It can only be scrapped. And when that happens, according to international law, the land must be returned to the Khoi and Sun. Your views on, on Hilton's tweet? I, I think it represents the, the complication of uh, the land question in South Africa. Uh, I think the fact that the, the land must be returned to to the Khoi and the Sun, I think it's a, it's, it's a decisive argument and it's actually a right-wing argument that seeks to d- divide Africans. And we shouldn't be focusing ourselves in the squabble in, in African societies in how who should get land. The issue here should be who needs land and for what the economic and uh, developmental purposes. And majority of African blacks do not have access to land in South Africa. And I think the focus should be there that when we 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 expropriate the land, even the sun and the quake have should have access to the land, but uh, so are other black people without having to fall to these traps of 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 squabbles amongst African people because now, if you are going to buy this logic that uh, we ourselves are migrants in Africa. We, this is not our land. We came here. That is going to create a very big problem, and it's going to be. It's play. It plays in the hands of right wing and white supremacists in South Africa that we 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 can't have claim to the land because ourselves are visitors in this country. Okay, so finally, uh, hashtag Ethiopian elections. Uh, Ethiopians voting there as uh, there are some irregularities that are being alleged. 
Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, saying that he's hoping that these elections, uh, the national and regional, will uh, prove uh, that there is a successful democratic reform in that country. Yet we do know there's uh, been reports of uh, boycotts, uh, reports of war and ethnic violence in some areas. Out of uh, the 10 regions, uh, they were unable to, f- to hold elections in four of them. How will this uh, impact the credibility of this election in Ethiopia? Will it, in your view? I think the the election is already compromised, uh, considering that uh, about 105 constituencies cannot participate in the elections. And the northern region is ravaged by war, and which basically means that those people logistically cannot be part of the uh, elections. And and I think that uh, that compromises the, the the elections. And worse, there are allegations that the prime minister has used his government to deal with political dissent and to deal with specifically his uh, opposition parties. And and I think that that's a big problem. And it, it, if it it is true, it shows that uh, the reforms in in Ethiopia are not what we we thought they were. It actually was a, was were forms of window dressing in terms of repositioning the country, and the elections and the chaos that they've created show that Ethiopia still has a long way to go in order to become a, de- a democratic a country. How will this translate in terms of the Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's image internationally then? We know he won the Nobel Prize in 2019 for uh, brokering peace with neighboring Eritrea. Will this now be overshadowed by these irregularities and alleged uh, boycotts and and ethnic violence and all these logistical challenges with these elections? Yes, I mean, his reputation has already been tarnished. I've read a few reports, especially in the New York Times, uh, they are critical of the Prime Minister. and But I'm, I'm not surprised because uh, how we, we, the, our vision of democracy in, in, in Africa and how the West should uh, understand democracy is quite different. And should he be worried about how the West thinks about him? I don't think that should be our concern. His concern should be how does he treat his own people with dignity? How does he ensure that uh, opposition parties can go to elections without fear of intimidation? And I think that's where he has failed because once you have those allegations that uh, you have a prime minister, you have access to state power, and you don't allow ordinary people to take part in elections, or you don't allow campaigners to campaign freely because you feel like they're going to diminish your political support and i think that should be the issue but in terms of his international reputation uh the the western media is always uh, uh delivering a scathing critique of his leadership and i i think he, the issue that he won uh nobel prize is no longer counting because they are now on his case and they feel like he, his his reforms when he became uh, the prime minister was really window dressing. He didn't go deep, or he has actually undone all the gains. All right, let's leave it there for today. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Makoba. Thanks for having me.
Dr. Meji Makoba, social commentator, discussing trending topics here on Sound Awake. Our time now is 4.26.